To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, when you get locked into a serious beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Cheers. Son of a bitch! Give me a drink! Takeover Podcast exclusively uses the Physics Draft Beer System to dispense all of the beers we review. Physics utilizes sonic wave technology to create the ideal density microphone head on your beer. It delivers a fresh from the tap draft beer experience that you can enjoy at home or on the go with no need for any external gas or additives. Just four AA batteries. Physics tasting is believing. Welcome, thank you for joining us for a very special Mobcraft episode of the Tap Takeover Podcast. We've got a great interview with Henry Schwartz, owner of Mobcraft Brewing, a crowdsourced brewing model here in Milwaukee, and we're here recording the day before Valentine's Day in the Solid Non-Fail studio. But it ain't the kisses that has us puckering up, it's the sours. I'm your host, Alex Kuhn, and I'm joined by my drinking buddies, Jim Jesus. How are you boys doing? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. And who do we have taking over the taps on the Tap Takeover podcast tonight, Jesus? We have a fun one today, Alex. Well, maybe. We'll see. It's the Sour Hour, and uh, <laughs> we have Mobcraft taking over, and we have their variation on existence. So it's their what they call their naked style, and the cranberry and raspberry. So basically the, the same sour ale that's been... Uh, the first one's just going to be the, the regular, the original, mm-hmm. and then the second type has been laid down on some raspberries. And then the cranberries. And then yeah. the cranberries. Yes. In, in a barrel. In yes. a barrel. Yes. Nice. Okay. And right well, now, what I poured you guys is, uh, I guess we're just calling it naked. I think that's what Henry refers to it as in the podcast. And so it's existence naked. Well, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm coming to this as as a noob. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a huge sour fan. Um, I think I brought up with Henry that I'm I'm familiar with some of the lambics, you know, some of the fruitier ones, and that I can kind of get into. Sours, I have I have trouble with. Partially, it's not having the palate, not knowing exactly what I'm tasting, and I, I think a lot of our listeners are probably in the same boat. So, which one of you guys is more familiar with sour? Well, I wasn't, and uh, it was funny when we were corresponding with Henry to kind of get this settled down. He he made it a point that he was going to convert us into sour lovers because I said earlier podcast we mentioned that we did not like sours. I, I think we challenged him to yeah. uh, bring us to sour Jesus. So I don't know if he brought me to sour Jesus, but he I'm not gonna not drink it. How about that? Yeah, definitely <laughs> here to expand our palate as we get our taps taken over. Uh, I also have very little experience with sours, so uh, this will be new opening up our palates to this. But sour, I mean, the same reaction people have for sours is the same reaction people have for IPAs. You know, it's a, it's a strong taste, but, you know, we, we love that stuff. And I guess it's just another variation, another bitter, sour kind of taste. And, and from everything that I'm picking up from, from the sour community, I mean, let's just back up a second. We can't do the sort of podcast that we're trying to do talking about cellared beers without talking about sours because you know where you can put a, a stout down in your basement for you know five ten years you can put a sour down there for a couple decades so it's absolutely important that we discuss this but we're also seeing a kind of a pushback against some of the the ultra sours that that hit the markets you know right off the bat when sours were were coming back into vogue you know you'd see these push it to the limit make it as sour as possible i think henry described it as sucking on a, an atomic warhead kind of deal and 
you're seeing a little bit of a pushback against that now. Suddenly, like you, you mentioned the uh, the IPAs. There was a time when everybody, Russ Klisch brought this up in our interview, where everybody was going for the highest IBUs. And it was it, that was all that it was. It was just about the, the bitterness units. And then you had this pushback where people were like, you know what we could do is we could uh, scale it back and, and just have some really delicious IPAs, like juicy, floral IPAs. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing some of that with the, with the sour movement. You went to the extreme and now people are starting to back it down and say, what if I laid this over some fruits? What if I balance out the sourness so it's not, you know, with some some Belgian yeast or something? Uh, what do you guys think about the, the sour profile in general? Well, so it, it, I do like sour things. And so, I mean, I would think that there's part of me that would appreciate this, but it does have to be more approachable when it's too acidic and too much in your face. It's hot spit. It's beyond drinkable for me. So having these uh, lesser acidic beers, less sour beers, uh, and then barrel aging, I think helps a little bit too. You get some of that wood notes in there. So what are, you, what are you tasting here, Jim? Well, I'm just looking at this beer. Pours out a hazy copper color, uh, very thin head uh, that dissipates... Uh, uh, rather quickly. So um, this one, when I poured it out, had a fizziness, almost like a soda. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you age it, I mean, is it still going to have that, Jim? Do you, I mean, what do you think? What happens yeah, to, it, over time? Well, that's a great question. I would think that it would have more time to bottle condition and more time to make these bubbles larger. I mean, similar to how the physics machine slices bubbles in half uh, or in hundred parts and makes them much more dense. Over time, the head should get a little bit stronger. I would I, think. I guess for me, I I was a f- kind of hesitant with the sours but it has a the initial sour bite but it doesn't have to me at least that aftertaste or like some that sourness at the at the tail end definitely in the beginning yeah for me it's the naked at least is still too much of a sour yeah uh, it's just a little bit still too strong. Uh, not something I would uh, pull off of the shelf myself. But I'm still excited to kind of expand, not to transition to sour loving, but uh, just to expand to more sours because I like that idea of aging it. I never knew that you can age a sour, any just about any beer. Mm-hmm. That's that's nuts to me, and I'm excited to eventually do that, you know? Yeah, I- I'm glad you said, Jim, that this isn't your beer, because <laughs> this is yeah. far from my, my favorite type of beer. We did try the, was it the raspberry one with, yeah. with Henry yeah. during our interview? And that one I could kind of get on board with. Uh, we're going to do that one again halfway through the interview. We're going to break out and, and try one of those bottles. Jesus, you were actually at the, uh, the the big event this last weekend. On Saturday, February 11th, we had a, uh, in Milwaukee at Mobcraft Brewing, we had the, not giveaway, but the, the big chance to come down and, and buy these sour beers. It was yeah, bottle release party to, to be honest it was almost a giveaway the bottles were only 10 bucks i mean it was a good price well, then, yeah yeah not bad, so not bad. um they had uh, the three variations and then a, a fourth one that wasn't uh, i guess bottle ready it okay. was a cherry and even when they poured it out it was very hazy very cloudy just didn't wasn't conditioned they actually wouldn't even serve it like in a growler so they're just gonna let that one run out it was still a good just to try that one but uh yeah it was a good successful uh showing and it was cool henry was there he said thanks for buying my beer okay <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, no, he was a cool guy. We had fun. and uh, oh, great guy. Hopefully great you guys guy. enjoy the, the interview. Yeah, I think that's a great opportunity to uh, to jump right in, and uh, we'll, we'll hear what Henry thinks about some of his sours, some of his other beers. Uh, really excited to get into this interview. 
All right, we're back for the Tap Takeover Podcast Brewery Interview Series, and we're sitting down here with uh, Henry Schwartz from Mobcraft Brewing. How are you doing, Henry? Doing well. Thanks, you guys, for coming out to the brewery. And we actually have all of our podcasters here today, so it's a yeah. special treat. It's our show. first one. We can all, all ask right. questions. Um, so we just wanted to get into Mobcraft Brewing. How did you get started? I heard this great story about a 15-year-old kid in a skateboard shop. So how how did you get started yeah, doing yeah. business? <laughs> well, the, uh, the entrepreneurial bug bit me pretty young. Um, I think I was in fourth grade and I wanted to make some money for a summer so I started Henry's babysitting and lawn mowing service (laughs) and I flyered the neighborhood and I made a thousand bucks that summer and I was like just on cloud nine as this you know fourth grader Um, and about a year later fell in love with skateboarding and thought you know oh I gotta buy skateboards so do all of my friends so I could buy skateboards in bulk and you know I can upfront the cost and they'll pay me a little bit more and I'll make five bucks at each one or something so that was sixth grade, and then um, once I graduated from middle school, going on to high school, I wound up in Wisconsin. I grew up in Denver, and my mom moved to Menominee to go to Stout, and I had to come along, being a, uh, an adolescent. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just you know, kicking and screaming. I was like, I'm going home after six months. This is going to be horrible, and I never left. So it was you know, a few different reasons. Also, you know, one of them being that Wisconsin's very fun to be in. You know, you once you've been here, you know why you want to stay in Wisconsin. And uh, also, I wound up um, purchasing a skateboard store, and it was all because I was trying to get a summer job after freshman year in high school at the local skate shop. And the guy said I got to close the doors because things aren't going so well. And so I, you know, put my head behind my head down and you know went home, told my mom that I couldn't get this job. And she said, Well, why don't you buy it? I was like, Mom, I'm 15 years old. I can't buy a skateboard store. She's like, Yeah, you can. You love skateboarding. And so you know, we just kind of went to the bank, got a loan, and uh, ran the skateboard store for three years throughout high school. That's incredible. Yeah. That's really awesome. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a little tiny, uh, probably 10 by 15, basically a closet at Just the beginning. And, you know, we expanded, went to a new facility, got some new product lines, expanded the inventory. Turned and, it over uh, for nice profit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think we were at, like, net even is what the goal was there. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got the business chops at a very young age. Yeah. How, how does that, I, I assume you're not uh, tipping back pints at 15. So correct, how correct. How does the business acumen translate to uh, the brewery investment? Yeah, a lot of it was, you know, not necessarily business, but passion. You know, you you always enjoy whatever you're doing if you're passionate about it. So at that time, it was skateboarding and snowboarding. Very easy to run a store. Um, once I fell in love with brewing and making beers, that passion for brewing kind of fueled the ideas of, of going into business. So I, I studied business in college, and uh, that's kind of where the company started, and we, all of us founders, met each other. Was, uh, was there ever a moment where the switch kind of flipped in your head from someone who enjoyed beer to someone who became inspired to produce beer? And was there a certain style involved with that? What, what inspired you? Yeah, yeah. I never enjoyed beer before I started making beer because I just pounded a bunch of Keystone in college. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we started making yep. beer because... Um, we weren't quite 21 years old, and it was easier to go to the homebrew store. <laughs> um, the first beers that we made were not so delicious, but it was a lot of fun making them. Um, I've got a, a background in, you know, I've been around um, to a bunch of different countries and experienced a lot of different foods. And so cooking has always been something that's been a passion of mine since, you know, very, very young, and combining flavors. So when we got into making beers, you know, that was only second nature that we'd start, you know, really increasing the, the level of the beers that we were making by using some fun ingredients. All right, well, uh, Jesus, I think you might be the first of us to have, uh, f- have found Mobcraft uh, about five, six years ago. In the dark hat now. <laughs> uh, no, it happened actually, and it might, I think it was you that I ran into, which was at the, the World of Beer Festival. Okay. It must have been like four or five yeah. years ago. 
And the idea was really neat because you guys were handing out the stickers and you said, well, this beer is for the people, by the people. Mm -hmm. And it sounded great and I was all in. And then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, man, I, you know, because when you start a brewery, I would think you do it for, you have a passion to make this sort of beer that you want, mm -hmm. you want to produce. How do you reconcile that with you know, really making somebody else's beer that nobody has really tasted? Yeah. Well, it starts off with being a beer fan. You know, people always ask me, what's your favorite kind of beer? And it's like, I like beer that's made well. You know, I can, I can tell if I try a beer and it was put together properly or something went haywire in the process. But realistically, I enjoy like all styles of beers. There's different moods that I'm in that I'll have a different beer. You know, if I go out to these taps, it's like I never drink the same beer over and over again. So from a preference standpoint of the kind of beer we wanted to produce, there was nothing there that was like, this is the go-to beer I want to make for everybody. Yeah, so interesting enough, I also remember the first time I came across you guys. Mine was a little bit later, about a month later, uh, Firkenfest 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, is the earliest recollection I haven't come across you guys. Okay. But, uh, so with the crowdsourcing, I mean, this is a very unusual uh, idea that's still unusual even today. I'm not yeah. aware of any other brewery mm -hmm. crowdsourcing there. So uh, how did you come up with this idea to crowdsource your recipes? And also, is every recipe you do crowdsource? Mm -hmm. So the, the idea started at Whitewater, where we went to college. Um, being in an entrepreneurial major, we had a lot of focus on trying to come up with businesses. And we were doing a case study on a company called Threadless that crowdsources t-shirt designs. We thought it was a really cool model, you know, using the power of the crowd to create a limited time product. And since we were avid homebrewers at the time, we thought that'd be awesome if we could combine these two things together. So we entered into a little business incubator at Whitewater, got a little bit of seed capital, seed capital to buy some brewing equipment, and then did this minimum viable product of the concept. So we were, you know, we built an iWeb website, we used Google Drive forms, we were homebrewing these five gallon batches of beers that were submitted by, you know, our classmates, people from the office down the hall, whatever it was. And we were, we did about, I think about 12 batches of those crowdsourced beers on a homebrew scale until we, you know, fully went and got all the permits and developed the business plan. Well, that's very smart as an entrepreneur too, because the seed money that you put into the equipment, the crowdfunding is actually pretty much funding the actual beer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it did a, I mean, it does a huge part of, of that. Once we started, you know, working into the model, you know, it was, everything was kind of like that next step up. So we were making five gallons of beer, and of course it's easy to give five gallons of beer away. Then we were making 200 gallons of beer, and we were selling about a quarter of that to the crowd, and then the rest of it out to traditional um, retail. And as we've continued to grow, you know, there's, there's an amount of people who want crazy, unique, off-the-wall beers, and then there's an the amount of people who just want good old beers. So we've we still brewed that once a month crowdsourced beer. We do about 900 gallons of it, um, but that's about the threshold that we want to grow that batch. You know, we still want it to be this one-time beer that may or may not ever come back, still have a little bit of, you know, surprise behind it, and, you know, we all like crying when they go off tap in the tap room. <laughs> Could you give the, our listeners a quick breakdown on how the, the crowdsourcing works out? Yeah, definitely. So anybody who has an idea for a beer can submit it to our site, and it can be as easy or as complex as you want to leave it. So if you have a tried and true homebrew recipe, like Peter Schroeder from Madison who submitted the Mr. Tea, or if you've got you know, two flavors you want to see in a beer, like uh, Batshit Crazy right here, um, two girls, Abby and Allie Murphy, said, we don't really like beer, but we like coffee, make a coffee beer. You know, so from this whole recipe to just an idea, um, we take it from there. Um, when you submit a beer, it gets attached to a specific URL, and on the back end, we track the social popularity of each URL. We take the top eight 
beers that have been shared the most across the internet and formulate a recipe for those guys and they end up in the monthly vote. So once the beers hit that monthly vote stage, they've been vetted that people around think they're actually cool so we don't get too many dirt and worms beers. And uh, at that standpoint, Andrew builds out the recipes and goes through and, you know, figures out how this can actually be a commercial batch. Um, from that standpoint, people vote by saying, if this beer wins, I'll buy a four pack of bombers and either get it shipped to my door or come pick it up at the brewery. So when we talked to uh, Russ Klish, mm -hmm. we were talking to him about his My Turn series, which mm -hmm. is pretty much a one-off series. And we talked to him about whether they would you know, re redo any of those uh, particular ones. And he said it would, it would be tough to do, It'd be like picking a favorite yeah. employee at the brewery. Yep. You're not constrained by any of those. You know, you, you've got customers, they've got favorites. Mm -hmm. How many of the recipes which, which are come up by the uh, customers are actually, actually make it into your full rotation? So out of our, this year is actually the first year that we're launching a lineup of beers. You know, we've never had like, you can go find this beer on the shelves at all times. So rolling out like right now, this Oddball, uh, which is a Kolsch and Batshit Crazy, the Coffee Brown Ale, those are the first two beers that are gonna be around year round. And so we've never really done that before. So. Um, out of all of the beers that are going to be in that portfolio, everything except the oddball is a crowdsourced beer. So we've done it in a few different methods though. Uh, when people call back for their favorites, like Vanilla Wafer Porter here, this one in 2014, people really dug it, so we brought it back in the wintertime. Um, like I said, Batshit Crazy, that was one of the first beers that was ever submitted. We brew that one year round just because we love it. And um, the beers that aren't out here, which will come in summer or spring, we've got our Hop Goes the Grapefruit, which is a grapefruit wheat beer. Uh, one of the beers that also came through the site and we'll be doing our uh, rhubarb IPA for the second time. And that beer we actually crowdsourced with our distribution company. So we went to all of their staff and said, hey, let's come up with a beer together. You know, they're our wholesaler, that are, that's our you know, partner to get beer out to the market, and made up that beer. In essence, yeah, every, everything minus the oddball Kolsch has been you know, vetted by the crowd. So uh, we should mention that we're doing a live tasting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were just talking about the Batshit Crazy, the uh, coffee brown ale. So uh, tell us what, what we should be tasting here. Yeah, so um, this is a brown ale is the, the base style, obviously. It's a coffee brown ale. Um, we use a little bit of lactose, which is a milk sugar. So that lends a little residual sweetness on the back end of the beer. And then we use uh, Valentine coffee. And we use both a light and a dark roast. And the reason we use both is because light roast will give off a lot more aroma and dark roast will give off a lot more flavor. When you right. just use a dark roast, You'll get a lot of coffee flavor, but it'll not have much coffee aroma. And yeah. vice versa, your coffee flavor is a little bit uh, more hidden um, when you just use a light roast. Yeah, because if a uh, coffee beer is not done right, you get a lot of bitterness out of it. So mm -hmm. uh, do you go through a lot? Of, do you test batch your stuff first? Yeah, or? and this batch of crazy hasn't been on the market for just about a year. We had some problems that we were basically infecting the beer when we were adding coffee back into it, adding the grounds. You know, we thought, ah, oh, roasted grounds thrown back in the beer, uh, but we were picking up some lactobacillus there. So we had a huge recall that pissed off a lot of people. And you know we've had to buy a bunch of beer back from retailers and from the distributor and that whole headache. So we said, this beer's not gonna come back out until we think it's perfect. So yeah, we brewed two or three test batches, um, probably went through three different coffee roasters, 15 different coffee varieties um, to finally come up with what's sitting in this can in front of you. Oh, this is really good. I, I love coffee and beer. I, I think because I love, and people are gonna get sick and tired of me talking about roasted notes, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I love burnt toast too, so I love things that are roasted. Yep. So when when people do coffee beers correct, uh, it's fantastic for me. It, it hits so many flavors on my palate. Uh, I, I really like it a lot. Well, I, I'm actually, I wanna go back to the process of the crowdsourcing and mm -hmm. the ideas. I was on the website, I actually was gonna throw it in a before I came in, just for fun. Oh, nice. But, <laughs> 
And in the description, it even says it could be as easy as, hey, I just want to try this and this. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess I want to know another unique part of your of the beer is the labels. Yeah. It's very creative. I like it. They're fun. Um, so I guess kind of give us two stories. The like the most basic uh, idea, and have you had any ideas that are so detailed where I want the can to even have this? Yeah. I mean, we've we've had. I mean, if you can imagine, the people come up with it. We've had everything from people who are professional graphic designers on their own. We've had people send in napkin sketches. We've had, you know, one of my favorites, this guy named Scotty, who is freaking riot. He's like seven feet tall, and he was here brewing Laughing Clown with us, and then he also did Grandma Adeline's German Chocolate Cake Beer. So he won twice, and this guy is just the biggest beer fan you would ever meet. He's putting the hops in on the brew deck and just like, you know, bounce it up and down. Just so excited. <laughs> and he probably sent like 400 pictures of crazy clowns and, you know, all of just because he was like, oh, this clown, I wanted to have this looking face, but, you know, this character. So it's this really, really fun collaborative process to be able to take, you know, your passion of developing a beer. And as much as you want to interact, that's what we'll take and, and run with. So he actually got to brew the beer himself. Yeah. So if you win a crowdsource voting round, number one, you drink your beer for free for life here. So that's a good oh. perk. Um, come on down for the brew day, and then we throw a launch party um, where you invite all your friends. We'll run a big old bar tab, bring you down for the brew day. If you're local, you can come down for the packaging day. We actually had, a, we flew in a woman from Washington, D.C. to come out and brew a beer with us a couple weeks ago, uh, right over the holiday. So yeah. is the naming of the beers generated too? Because I, I saw a couple months ago, I ran to that crop with the Mayan mocha. Oh, yeah. that on our last podcast. Yeah. From outside. Yeah, um, usually what we've, we're, we're learning about the names. So right off the bat, it was always like, you know, people are submitting funny beer names and it's all fine. Then we had a name that was very, very uh, rude and not very politically correct that we got in Just a lot of... inappropriate. Uh, very inappropriate. So, you know, running into that social media nightmare and a disaster, um, we put in some processes to vet the names before they go into... Um, into the voting round okay. and you know another one that we forgot was like check on tap see if it already exists so the Mayan Mocha should be the last beer that was the name of somebody else's beer that goes out um, for the most part everybody's cool about it it's like hey this is already a beer because I've actually had that beer before too and I, I was thinking about it and I was like oh was, I swear that was a beer it was really good too yeah and so I got a question is there a law or something that says each beer needs to be named individually or no, it'd just be trademark violations. Okay. All right, I so mean, someone did something to actually have to trademark it because no, it's just why deal with it at all when there's a billion different names, you know. Uh, I've come across another beer called Velveteen Habit that, of course, Ale Asylum makes, uh -huh. but it's uh, oatmeal stout by some other company. So yeah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But you gotta imagine now with 5,000 yeah. breweries, there's only so many names. Well, all I can say is if you just put the word shit in all of your names, you can't trademark <laughs> vulgarity. So, there you go. Pro tip from Henry Schwartz. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we trademark a lot of our names. Um, the crowdsourced beers, though, I mean, we've... We've probably made 120 different beers, so 300 wow. bucks a piece to trademark it would be a little expensive, so we haven't yeah, right. trademarked all those ones. No, that's a lot bigger, because that's actually going to be one of my questions is, yeah. so how many beers have you made? Over 120. I, I believe so. I mean, at, at last count, when we, in September of 2015, we brewed batch 100, and that was like the 100th turn of the brew house. You know, we, we made monthly beers, and we rarely made the same repeat beer. Now we've started brewing a lot more bigger batches, so brewing less frequently, and then um, a couple of repetitive beers. So I think we're, we're definitely above 100 there. So so was the decision to go to a repetitive beer a business decision, or, or what brought you to that point? 
I mean, kind of a, a multiple different decision. Um, one, we, we knew we wanted to grow the brewery and move out of the house of brews. Um, you know, Paige was a great brew daddy to let us, you know, mooch off of his uh, brew house and make a bunch of beers for a while. Um, but then when you come with that expansion, you know, people like new beers, but people like new beers that have been tried before. Mm -hmm. So we knew that, you know, we can't just be saying, hey, here's a new random beer, here's a new random beer, because it sucks for the salespeople, it sucks for the bartenders trying to sell it to the customers, you know. New beers, trying a variety of them, awesome, but with it being completely random and different every time, makes it a little more difficult for the sales yeah. process. So Yeah, so you started in Madison, mm -hmm. but now we're here in Walker's Point, Milwaukee. Uh, why the move? We started looking for buildings in 2015. Um, we probably looked at 50 commercial properties over in Madison, and it was really hard to find one that was um, in our budget, that was close to human beings. So <laughs> we, found, we found a couple great warehouses, um, that were, you know, in a part of town that soccer mom, part, you know, we're not quite that soccer mom vibe, you know, it could have been out by the, by Costco and whatnot. And, um, that was the only one that we found in our price range. And then everything else was closer to human beings, but we would have been bankrupt in like a half hour. So we started looking in Milwaukee. Um, Andrew, our, our head brewer, uh, grew up in, in West Dallas and he uh, has a house over there now. So it was only, you know, natural to say, Hey, why? You know, let's go look at Milwaukee, see what we can find. And this was actually the first building we looked at. So we were standing out on this front corner talking to the landlord, the prospective landlord, and he said, well, Silk Exotic's probably going to be renting the facility, so it most likely won't be available, but if anything happens, we'll let you know. And lo and behold, the city shut it down, and or the Walker's Point um, neighborhood shut it down, and we were next in line. Were you concerned, though? I mean, it's a big move once you go from... Because breweries are very, like, uh, local, neighborhood. Yeah. Was you know, we... And we actually, we actually had, you know, we've, we have some liquor stores where it's like, ah, eh, Mobcraft's not local anymore, so we don't want to have their beer in Madison, which is kind of frustrating. It's like, you know, I mean, I understand if it's not right down the street, but I think Wisconsin as a state kind of is not looked at as an awesome beer state compared to everywhere else. And we have so much great beer coming out of here that, you know, supporting local is supporting the state. Yeah, because we've actually been ranked as low as 46th. <laughs> Which is, if it was out of a million, would be great. Unfortunately, we only have 50 states, right? So to have what is considered the great beer state to yep. be ranked so low is really disappointing. So what would you have our listeners do in order to make Wisconsin a better beer state? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just asking. You know, you go into a bar and the reason that there aren't Wisconsin taps covering all those taps is because people don't demand it. You know, so when I go into a bar, I will have one of the two options that are local Wisconsin beers. You know, the other eight to 10 taps are filled with other brands. They're all great beers, but you know, the jobs are here. We've got breweries, we're employing people, those people live here. And you know, if we want to make that support happen, it only makes sense to invest back in your community by having a pint of something from somebody close by. So, I mean, I know you guys chatted with, uh, with Lakefront and it's like, thank God for us, because at least I can get a Lakefront everywhere that I go, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, next up, you ever heard of the physics draft beer system? I have, yeah. yeah awesome. Uh, have you ever tried a beer out of it? No, I haven't. So, so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna put your vanilla wafer through. All right, and, uh, excited. See, see what you think of it. Okay. <laughs> brand ambassador Andy Kamaski here for uh, physics, and yeah, this is it's pretty cool. What it does? Yeah, I want to watch gonna, this. It's gonna put a really nice creamy head on this beer. So one of the things it really does is is give I think a lot more aroma, and you get a lot of the bouquet out of it that yeah. you normally would straight out of a can. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you just have your. I mean, you can just tell by looking straight at the bubbles, too. So does it actually do anything with the actual it carbon does. dioxide inside the beer that it's when you're drinking it, or is it... It's doing is it's going to take one 
you know, you get a regular head bubble. They're, they're different. They're mm -hmm. varied size, structure. Yep. This is basically going to chop one of those regular carbonation bubbles into 100 different pieces. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's giving you the ideal density. And they're pretty much uniform. So yeah. that's going to hold the foam structure longer. Yep. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I've seen, I, I saw the Kickstarter and whatnot when it was on, it was Kickstarter, right? Yep. Like a, a year or two ago? They did this one through Indiegogo. I saw it on one of those crowdfunding sites. <laughs> and we're all about crowdfunding. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I did see that the other day. Did yeah. they get a deal? Yeah. Nice. Oh, wait, nice. Before we get into well. Shark Tank, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the beer we're drinking. Mm -hmm. So this is the Vanilla Wafer Porter. Yeah. And, uh, the vanilla, let's just say it's not subtle. <laughs> yeah. But no. it's really delicious. I mean, it's kind of folded into these layers of chocolate and, and roasted malt. So And wafer. So when we launched this beer, we actually like bought a box of Nella wafers. Like a wait, box Wait, so there's of real Nella wafer wafers. in here. It's just not no, simulated. No, no, we have like some, some biscuity malts and, you know, <laughs> right, using yeah. the malt structure of the beer to give you that wafery type flavor. But when we launched the beer for the first oh, okay. time, you came in and bought it the whole weekend <laughs> until we ran out of Nella wafers. You got Nella wafers with it. Now we've mashed in other other weird things, but... Uh, uh, okay, so what is the weirdest thing that you've made? Do you guys have a familiarity with a fruit called durian? <laughs> no, I do not. All right, so two things that I love about durian. If you needed to beat somebody and kill them, you could put it in a burlap sack and achieve that. Don't try it. It's a fruit that's about the size of a basketball, and it's got big, like, two-inch spikes on it. So a pretty ugly-looking thing, and it smells like rotting flesh. What's the, the stink fruit they call it? Oh, sounds like the perfect ingredient for beer. Yeah, yeah. So, but, I mean, this is why I love Andrew so much. Andrew's the, the microbiologist, the fermentation scientist on our team. That's actually what he studied was fermentation science. So we, we get this recipe submitted to the site by some guys over in Madison, a guy named Nick. And if you have a chance to go watch YouTube videos from back in the day, if you search Don Durio's Filthy Mustachio on YouTube, we, like, filmed a 10-minute story of this beer. And okay, oh. I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So it was a crowdsourced beer. You know, we you help out with the label art, you help out with writing the beer description. So Nick wrote a whole freaking four-page ballad of Don Durio, the how the Don, the, like how Durian came into existence when we asked him for a label description. So it was like a memoir. We printed it out into a book. I brought him over to my house, built a fire in the fireplace, and he sat there and read it with a pipe. And, uh, and then we made this this ridiculous YouTube video about it. We're like in the mash tun with a paddle, rowing it like it's a boat. And, so you have to watch that. It's it's horrible, but it's really it was really fun. Um, so, anyways, that they, they submitted this durian beer recipe and got it to win the vote, and um, we're like, they had to contribute a significant amount to get that to win the vote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good good network there to get their friends and family who did not know what durian was to, to buy the beer. Um, but what Andrew said was, well, durian stinks because of sulfur compounds, and sulfur has a relatively low boiling point. So if we puree the durian, bring it up to you know 160 degrees or so we will get rid of that stink, we'll volatilize it off. Now, the whole brewery smelled like an egg bomb went off, which was pretty gross. The first time that House of Brews used choice words at the Mobcraft Boys, <laughs> but what was left behind was this tropical mango custard type of a flavor. And the beer that it was going into was a Pilsner, which traditionally kicks off a little bit of a sulfur in its fermentation anyways. So those two flavors really paired well together. And it was, you know, to date, one of my favorite beers that we've came out with. Wow. Oh, wow. I just tried one, um, we were unfortunately up in Wassa for a funeral, and there was one in the back Back of the fridge that was there. I mean, we brewed this beer in like 2014, and I <laughs> opened it up, and it was still pretty all right. So, <laughs> so maybe not a cellar beer. <laughs> no, no. I mean, a low ABV pilsner you'd never put in the cellar, but. Yeah. So now, now everyone's jumping on those one-day release-only beers. Right? Mm -hmm. 
Now, you guys in 2015 did, did, a, did an online version of that called Cyber Monday. We did, yeah. Any future plans to do anything else? Yeah, again? yeah. We're um, we've got a bunch of shit. We need to brew that quickly. Um, we will hopefully <laughs> soon be brewing. Thanks. So, <laughs> thanks for the reminder. Um, no, it, yeah, plans to do that. I'd, I'd like to bring that beer in year in and year out. Um, it's it was hard in the transition of moving barrels. You know, your barrel projects are multiple year projects, and if you brew it at one place, and then it's kind of hard to just put an in process barrel into a truck because you're just gonna you know wreck it. But we did we did manage to bring some beer from Madison over. Um, this it, this beer was we brewed this in September of let's see September fifth. Well, there's a brewed and bottled on date on this bottle somewhere. Yeah, brewed <laughs> on nine five fifteen, bottled on eleven twenty nine sixteen. So. And which beer is this? This beer is a lot of fun. It's called Existence, um, and I know you guys weren't huge sour fans, but we are. Yep. Right now we're actually sitting in the sour room. We've got a room dedicated to sour and wild beers. Um, and we always say sour and wild because a beer doesn't have to be sour to be a wild ale. We do a lot of Britannomyces fermentations, which we've got a Brett Pale Ale on tap outside, which just tastes like a pale ale, but give that a couple months in bottles or in kegs, and that Brett funk is just really gonna start to develop inside that beer. So sour and wild. And this is our first bottle release coming out of the brewery. So we're gonna be releasing it on Saturday of this week. And we've got existence done three different ways. We've got the naked existence just by itself with nothing else. We've got it on raspberries and on cranberries. Awesome. So we brewed the beer, aged it in second use or third use bourbon barrels for about a year, inoculated it with lactobacillus in those barrels. Then we transferred it into a bulk container, put all the fruits in it, let it sit for another month or so, and then bottled it put Britannomyces and Saison yeast and a little bit of extra sugar back in the bottle to condition it. And then it sat for about two months conditioning in the bottle and now it'll finally be As you can tell, it was a very exciting interview for myself. Talking with Henry brings a lot of energy and excitement, especially for someone being from outside of Wisconsin originally. So, yeah, so it, was, it was kind of fun watching you guys nerd out together. You guys, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, he's, you're picking up what he's putting down for sure. Uh, it's very exciting. He's extremely knowledgeable. It was really amazing being able to talk to him and hear him understand every aspect of his business. All right, man. That's pretty cool. Way to nerd out, Jim. You and Henry, <laughs> totally nerdy now. I love it. So we're tasting uh, the raspberry again here. Uh, it's pouring out the same color, hazy copper, a much thicker head, much different nose and palate, though. Well, yeah, the fruitiness for sure, you know. But um, if you were to describe like a, that sourness, though, it's still there from the plain one. But yeah, that... That little bit of fruit just kind of saves it, and I can see why you guys would like this more. I think, right? Yeah, this is this is more up my alley. The, edge, the, the sourness, edge is yeah, up, yeah, the sourness is folded into those those berry notes. Yeah, I, I can kind of dig this. It, it seems more lambic-like. I think that's that's absolutely accurate. I guess overall, this beer is I would say better than the first one. That little bit of complexity just just makes it just kind of pushes over the edge for someone that doesn't like sours that much. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. that little fruitiness, that little complexity, kind of just I guess to me make it a more drinkable beer i think it needs that fruit yeah. just to balance the sour uh, otherwise you just when we tried the naked my, my biggest gripe was that it's just it's all sour all the time mm-hmm. right and when you have the fruit and you have a little bit of balance i have somewhere that my tongue can escape i, I can get away from the sour even if even if just for a split second in the fruit and that, that that's worth it for me so we've never actually had um big fans of sours but i guess have you ever tried an aged sour i mean we've talked no. about it you've, i guess I never, never we gotta we gotta do that yeah we're, we're gonna have to 
gonna, get to this. Gonna hunt. We need someone to take over our taps. That's what yeah. we need. This is a shout out to our listeners. Take over our taps here. <laughs> Teach us how to be men and drink beer here. <laughs> drink yeah. sour beer. Is... Yeah. I think we need some. We need some recommendations. We're not looking for you to send us beer, but we need recommendations. Or send us what, beer. Or send us beer. But what? What's your favorite sour? What's the one sour that if you could turn somebody on to sours, you would absolutely recommend that one? We'll go out of our way to get it. You know, if you have a line on it, let us know that too. But absolutely, we'll go out of our way to to get some of these sours because we're trying to challenge ourselves. We're trying to become better beer drinkers and better consumers and and better podcasters. So better, just better men. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's keep going, going with the uh, interview. Yeah, it's been a fascinating interview so far, and thank you so much for you know Henry Schwartz sitting down with us. It's it's really an honor, you know, as for us as podcasters that these these former home brewers and and now huge brewers are able to take time out of their schedules, sit down with you know four guys who just like drinking, answer all of our questions, and give us a, a more well rounded view of of what it is that they do, not just a, as a business person, but as a, a lover of beer. That, yeah, it's cool. It's been worth it for us. <laughs> they really don't. Know who the heck we are but just the willingness to take time we we definitely appreciate it so. like keep inviting us back so yeah. we'll, we'll keep coming so we're three for three we had three invites we'll <laughs> keep showing up <laughs> all right well let's jump back in and uh let's hear henry talk about his souring process explain for those who may not know why would a brewery essentially quarantine their sours and wild year uh, ales. Yeah, it's um, and also, uh, is there any plans to then bring in a cool ship if yeah. you're going to go all, all the way, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the the reason that you have things separate, it's mainly precautionary because you clean your equipment anyways, and you clean it with a good regimen, and you're not going to experience a problem. Um, I've got some brewers like Adam, who's um, our who runs the sour program here at this past brewery. They use the same filling machine to fill sour and non-sour beers, and never had any problems. We're a little bit scared of that because there's plastic parts and whatnot, but anything that's stainless that you can do a heat kill and a thorough sanitization on it, you know, we don't feel like we'll have any overly crazy issues as long as we keep up that regimen. But we have it separate just because this barrier that's in here being a wall and being a negative pressure room that only throws air outside instead of back into the brewery, just in case we had any kind of airborns that were floating around, they'd stay in this in this room. So any plans to bring a cool ship in? The- yeah, it, it all depends. Um, we'd have to get an architect in here, structural engineer, to tell <laughs> us what we could hang from the ceiling. But long-term, long-term goal um, would be to get some fooders in here. So big, you know, 30-barrel oak vessels that we could, you know, once you start making sour beers the bugs live in the wood Mm -hmm. and that's what really creates the character of those beers so get some of those planted in here and then since we've got these i-beams up ahead um if we did a cool ship it would probably be sitting up somewhere around there yeah Yeah, so uh for for our listeners again uh, when you use bretomyces or uh, pectacillus you're intentionally infecting beer and make it go bad or wonderful or wonderful (laughs) (laughs) if you like sours right so there's there's a couple different things and this is our strict separation of sour and wild so Saccharomyces is a yeast. Britannomyces is a yeast. Lactobacillus is a bacteria. Pediococcus is a bacteria. In your traditional Belgian-style lambics, you've got all four of those playing a little bit of a part. Um, in a lot of sour beers that you see commercially in the U.S., you might have just a beer that's brewed and fermented with an 
traditional ale yeast and then aged and inoculated with the bacteria. Like this existence, fermented with a Belgian yeast, inoculated with lactobacillus, conditioned with Britonomyces. So it's kind of this, you know, the flavors that you're developing are pulling from these different microflora that are existing inside your, your product. Well, should we uh, yeah, taste the sure, sure. I mean, that's... Yeah, we're kind of hoping that yeah, we're, we're here, here yeah, with yeah. A, uh, four guys who are I not big sour fans. Out. So uh, we're hoping that you can evangelize us and bring Ooh. us to Sour Jesus. Sour Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Speaking of Sour Jesus. Yeah, I told you that I didn't put this one in the fridge before I opened it. And we had, we got some, uh, it's still carbonating, right? Um, this one's, this one's all done, but it's just been sitting out. Okay. So if I would have thrown it in the fridge, we would have, uh, seen a little bit of a different, uh, open there. It's just really excited to, uh, be drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So I will say your, your dark sour was very interesting. I, I think it's more readily acceptable to, I think, maybe uh, an unaccustomed palate. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the and I'll tell you why that is, because we intentionally do that. We don't want to make sours that are so, you know, screamingly acidic that you're just like sucking on a warhead. It's still, you're brewing a sour beer, it's about balance. You know, even in this beer, you've got the heat of the alcohol, you know, there's a pretty intense heat in there. I mean, it's 10% ABV, but you've got that little bit of sweetness that comes from the raspberries, and the sourness isn't overly aggressive. You know, so in our dark sours, it's a little bit more, if you measured the pH, it'd be a little bit lower pH than a lot of other ones, but we've got those, you know, roasty and dark malts, which kind of offset those flavors. Yeah, this is this is not bad. I There's one type of sour that I've gotten into where, I, you know, it's palatable for me, and that's a lambic. And mm -hmm. this is along those same lines. Mm -hmm. Very, yeah. very fruity, very pungent. The sourness is a little understated. Yep. I, I could do one of these. Yep. I, I really See, like it, the it fruit. is it is a one of these beer. Definitely. You know, you're not pounding sours left and right all day long. You know, it's one of those that's a share bottle. So, yeah, I really like the raspberry. I'm a sucker for fruit beers in general. Uh, but I see on here there is the sellable symbol. Yeah. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Uh, we, Russ first mentioned it and then Jim. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they both mentioned how, you know, Henry. So the, this was, I mean, it was all Russ's brainchild of, and I think it came from his his first Black Friday releases where I think they did a double IPA that was a Black Friday beer. It was a black IPA. Yeah. A black IPA. <laughs> and, like, everybody's like, oh, let's sit on this. It's like, no, experience those hops, you know? So, it, I mean, from that standpoint, yeah, it was a limited beer that was supposed to be consumed right away, which obviously if you're hunting whales, you know, you want to sit on your whales and share them with some friends. So we, we developed this seller certified logo because this kind of means that this style of beer is meant to be either consumed now or consumed after a period of time. So, so. one of the things is though, uh, and one of our uh, listener questions last week was, how does someone know how long to lay, well first, should they lay down the beer and then for mm -hmm. how long? So uh, yeah, you've got the symbol on there, it says it should be cellared, but for how long? And how could people mm -hmm. know that? So there's um, an easiest spot to see the resources on the Wisconsin Brewers Guild website. There's a seller certified tab, and that's got a whole kind of document that we put together of the certain styles of beer and what happens to the flavors in those beers when they're aged. So that's a good resource to go to and see that, you know, your, your roasty character in a stout is gonna turn into a dark fruit character over a period of time in a cellar. So I check that out for sure. As far as the timeline goes, depending on, on the beer, obviously the easiest thing, because each beer's kind of got its own personality, is to just like try one after six months, try one after a year, and if it tastes good after six months and not so good after a year, drink all the other ones you have. <laughs> so what are you going to do with that one? I mean, are you going to keep, let's say, 20 around and just every year? Well, we'll probably, I think, we'll definitely sit on some kegs. 
Um, we, we have a few six, actually we have a few half barrels that we're going to sit on and, you know, launch those after a period of time. Um, being a 10% ABV beer, this is a fun one that we'd like to brew over again. Sitting on the bottles, I'd say this beer is about a year, that it would, it would be a sellable time. I mean, the beer is aged long enough. Um, if you're looking at like a Belgian strong ale, that's just a straight 10% ABV Belgian strong, you could have it aged for a little bit longer. But when you've got fruit characteristic in beer, that kind of fades over time. So you can age the beer, but after a period of time, you'll definitely not taste as much raspberry as you would right now. And it's really weird that it's dependent on the fruit. Like strawberries, a month and your strawberries are just gone. It's ridiculous. Then you have raspberries, those hang out a little bit longer. Um, cranberries, that flavor sticks around in beer for quite some time. So, so one focus of our podcast, uh, one big focus, is the idea of the beer collection and cellaring beers to see how they mm-hmm. evolve. What is your own personal cellar collection? Oh man, my favorite thing that just came out of the cellar was a scotch barrel aged scotch ale and the crowdsourced beer that won like in January maybe it was December was a scotch barrel aged scotch ale so finding scotch barrels is not easy and that's why it took us so long to brew it because we we literally had to go to Scotland and we ended up getting Laphroaig barrels and thank you to Avery Brewing Company who bought the majority of the shipping container we were able to squeak like 18 barrels on with the rest of it so they're on the Atlantic right now making it over to the brewery Cool. So I bought that beer. It was brewed in 2012, um, and then we—I had no clue that it was that old. But I was kind of waiting for a fun time to try it, and then this Scotch Barrel Age Scotch Ale won. So the guy who submitted the beer came over, and we brewed it, and then we popped that bottle and, and drank it. Yeah. So for those that may not know, uh, Scotch is actually aged in used bourbon barrels mm-hmm. that are shipped over to Scotland, but that's where they die a beautiful death. Um, so no one ships Scotch barrels back to the U.S. Well, now it's come full. Except I uh, just went to Cuba last month and okay, so I speak Spanish and I was very proud of myself because I conducted a business meeting in Spanish. No money exchanged hands, we didn't break any laws, but um, we met with uh, the Havana Club, which is the Cuban rum company, because I wanted to get Cuban rum barrels. So we went down there and had a chat with the guy. Unfortunately, until the embargo is lifted, there's no such trade that we can ever do back and forth, but he was telling me the history of how, where their barrels come from. So their company is owned in part by a European company who buys American bourbon barrels, then they go over to Europe and they either get Irish whiskey or you know, scotch in them, and then they make it down to Cuba. And the Cuban rum company ages their rums in those barrels. And by the time like we would get the barrels, they might be 50 years old. It's just ridiculous wow. for some of their longer term projects. Oh, I mean, have, if you've ever tried Havana Club rum, it's just phenomenal. We, I got a bottle of um, Selección de Maestros, which is the master's selection. And it's, um, they age, I think, three different times. They, they'll age three different times. So they'll age, you know, pick out the favorites, set those aside, blend off the, you know, lower quality. Then they'll take that one, select it off again. There's their middle quality. And then age it again in different barrels. Um, and it's just this phenomenal, phenomenal rum. Oh. Uh, when you finally are able to uh, close that deal, do you, get a, <laughs> do you get a free 53 Cadillac with that? Oh, man. <laughs> I actually spent two hours in a 56. Seven Chevy going across oh. the uh, across the country. Well, yeah. How, I'm, now I'm curious. How how was it? Oh, it was, was a blast. I mean, it was it was like... wonderful. Um, very very interesting chatting with the people. Um, because obviously everybody has you know their own opinion on on why they love their country. And we went everywhere from being in the city, staying with this this man who had a quadruple bypass two years ago. 
and the government healthcare put him up for a month while he was recovering. You know, that whole process was government healthcare was free. And he was a, a shrimp fisherman who was like, where's, yeah, no nest egg to pay for quadruple bypass. So that was awesome to see. And he had this passion for the country. He said when Fidel died, the streets were quiet. People, the music stopped is what he said. And if you're in Cuba, there's music everywhere. I mean, there's cumbia bands playing on all the corners and, you know, it's this very lively, lively country. So to hear that from him, it was very interesting to see. And then we made it to the tobacco fields and got to chat with the, the farmers and you know hear how the government tax works and you know how the, the tobacco that they grow is kind of regulated. So very, very wild experience and definitely recommended. So, so this is the, uh, the Tap Takeover podcast. And we're wondering, what would be an ideal way to introduce folks to, uh, to Bob Craft Brewing? Mm-hmm. Which beers would you choose to tell your story? Now you've got 120 to choose from. Yeah. So, Tough, tough choices here. So to tell our story, I definitely think Bad Shit Crazy because it's one of my my favorite stories. Um, Abby and Allie Murphy were these you know two twins in in Whitewater that I went to school with that we were homebrewing and doing this model and we we're like yeah we can make this as one as one of the first beers. So this was actually like the second recipe I ever made as a homebrewer in that time. Wow. So I mean it's it's been around forever and. Yeah, a fun story. And then I would say, I mean, any of the bomber beers that you see out on the market are all the crowdsourced beers. So that's all the stuff that's a little bit off the charts, a little interesting. Uh, Grandma Adeline's German chocolate cake was just this phenomenal beer. Just so many different layers of vanilla and coconut and chocolate in this beer. It's a higher ABV stout, but it's it's interesting where you can see sometimes flavors are just muddled and you get this like mush of flavor at the end. But this one was like one sip. Oh, there goes vanilla across my tongue. Two sip. Oh, there goes there goes the chocolate. Third sip. Hmm. Burp. Wow, that was coconut burp. You know, it's just so <laughs> weird how all those flavors layer differently in the beer. Um, so that one was one of my favorite recent ones. Now, you, I mean, when you're trying to figure out your taps, you know, it's always changing. Yeah. But you said this is the first year you have an actual lineup. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as being, because every brewery has like, these are our like 12, you know, there's Core a beers, West yep. Nine, there's a Louis de you know what I'm saying? It's yep. always there. Do you see yourself ever kind of, you can't totally get away from crowdsourcing? Because that's, I mean, it's mob craft. Yeah, and I would but never... would you ever go to like a lineup, these are 15, like we are... Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we've done. We'll have Oddball Kolsch, which is going to be available year-round. Um, Batshit Crazy, year-round Vanilla Wafer Porter in the winter. So we're, we're introducing this, you know, standard lineup of beers. And if there's some that, you know, don't do as well as we expected, you know, we can pull back into our repertoire of other ones. Um, to brew them again, but having that consistency is something that we really need. You know, not everybody wants to go try the new, you know, wild and crazy ghost pepper and chocolate beer. Well, so having this, have the space to do it. Yeah, yeah, and that was our biggest holdup um, brewing previously is that we could brew that once a month crowdsourced beer. So there's what the tank is used for, and then as we grew tank wise. You know, it was throwing another batch in there here and there, but um, not necessarily brewing consistent over and over again of the same style. So speaking of your, your production abilities, mm-hmm. how, how has the move been, not just to Milwaukee, but to a bigger, a bigger uh, center? Yeah. Um, we just walked through outside. The, the tap room is fantastic. I encourage all of our listeners to come check it out. It's absolutely beautiful. Sitting in the, the barrel room right now is, is a real special treat. So yeah, just uh, what's it been like moving to Milwaukee? Yeah, the tap room's been awesome. I mean, we've, um, Dan, uh, his name's Buddha for most people out there who have seen him at beer festivals and whatnot. He used to work for Pearl Street, and then um, he came in the tap room one day, and he came in and started bartending, and then now he manages the tap room, 
and he's this awesome musician, so he's brought that on as one of his passions to make the brewery have a lot of music. So every Thursday night we do live music, and it's so much fun. I just saw a tuba walk by back there, so I mean, there, there's <laughs> okay. going to be some fun music going so, on. So that's that's what we've been hearing in the background is, is this yep. band coming in. War, warming up, yep. Okay. So, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, the tap room is so much fun. We get this you know, FaceTime with, with people to come in and try our beers, and we can you know talk and show the variety of it. Um, we're actually going to start on Wednesday's mini tour, mini flights, where we haven't launched it yet, so hopefully it'll be coming up soon. Breaking but news. Yeah, breaking news, <laughs> where we'll do like a short tour of the brewery and um, a short flight. It'll be all free. you got to sign up ahead of time, but it'll just be like you know two ounces of, of all the beers, ranging from our light and easy to our dark and heavy with a sour and a hoppy in the middle, and just you know show people more of what we can come up with. The wholesale side of things, uh, we definitely bit off more than we can chew. That's for sure. <laughs> it was a huge jump going from uh, we were making 10-barrel batches of beer to 30-barrel batches of beer, with the fermenters being 15-barrel fermenters to 60-barrel fermenters. So just the sheer volume of beer that we produce is, is a lot, and um, it takes a long time to, to build a brand and you know get distribution out into that large of a territory to make it work so yeah yeah it's definitely I and mean, it's a lot of work to get it out there we've got an awesome team I mean that's the only thing that I can attribute anything to you know Nick is our, our sales guy um, director of sales he came from River City which is our distribution company and then um, Ellen and uh, Nick Rasmussen work underneath him in the Madison and Milwaukee market and it's just so much fun having the team of people who have that same passion for beer as us and yeah you guys met Kayla when she came down and took our photo and um, her fiance is Adam and he runs our sour and wild program and they came back from California to join the team we have some fun times so just talking about <laughs> quality in general and there's yeah. a lot of topics around this so mm -hmm. especially touching on again the shark take experience you wanted to own your own brewery versus yeah. continuing to contract and a lot of that was around quality. So how do you ensure quality is there, especially as you expand to these larger batches? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of factors. I mean, and there's no guidebook. You know, nobody teaches you. You know, we are fortunate to have a lot of other brewers in the state who help out and you ask them questions and they develop their processes and make them better. You know, so it's like you learn a process from one brewer that you start implementing that process and then they've changed their process to a better way because they ran into an error and you're figuring out your own lessons. Um, so what we've done is really slowed down because that's been the hardest thing. It's like we gotta we gotta sell the beer because we gotta make money because we gotta stay open. You know, so we've slowed everything down and just taken our expected production times and added on an extra week to them. And that's really done wonders as far as just making sure that everything's perfect, not rushing beers through the system, making sure that everything's done correctly. And then we've implemented like a filter. You know, we always thought like, oh, we're gonna be you know unfiltered beer, but then you have sediment that's soft pudding and you have the potential of re-fermentation in cans so we've implemented a filter that we bought from tom porter at lake louis share fun equipment <laughs> uh, and then we also send everything out to um, third-party labs in addition to our in-house laboratory testing to check for any spoilage bacteria or wild yeast that may be in a beer. And we track that throughout the process. So post-fermentation, if we see anything funky, that batch gets dumped. If we see anything that ends up in the bright tank or at the final part, we send out the cans to get tested. And okay. if those were to fail the test, then they'd never make it out to market, which is something that's, you know, super hard to do is, you know, one, suck up the cost of, you know, doing all of that micro testing when we don't have this complete tried and true lab here in the brewery. But it's something that now we're confident that a beer would never make it out onto the market without being of a super high standard. And then also we've implemented some internal processes that Andrew will make a little form on Google Drive 
he'll go pour a bunch of samples of the beer, he'll bring them out to everybody's desks, and then we have um, a blind taste test with all employees in the whole entire company, and if a beer doesn't hit a 9 out of 10, we don't release it. Do you need volunteers? To <laughs> 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 so speaking of Shark Tank, I mean, uh, a couple of articles I read, you had mentioned on how, how intense of an experience it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the most nerve-wracking was when we were down at the Brass Tap and we did a Shark Tank viewing party. You know, all my friends were there. I didn't know if they, because you don't get to see the episode before it airs. So I'm like, do they portray me like a dickhead or a stand-up gentleman? I have no clue. Um, but nerve-wracking in the sense that, you know, we had this passion for this brewery. We wanted it to exist. That was probably the 10th, 15th panel of investors that I'd given the pitch to, which everybody else has just said no. So you've got that apprehension of, you know, another potential no holding you up from your dream. So that was very nerve-wracking. Um, then 100 million cameras pointed at your face. That a little bit too. <laughs> so what kind of pushed you to, to do that? I mean, was it like, oh man, I, this has to happen? Yeah, this this beer actually helped us. So we, um, this beer being batshit crazy, we uh, got featured in a Yahoo Food article about coffee beers. And then one day somebody called and said, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so from Shark Tank Casting. Think you should apply for the show. And I was like, all right, if you call, that probably means we have a good chance. Oh, so they, they well, I don't want to get too much into the process, but they, they find you. Well, no, typically, D typically, typically you, yeah, typically you apply no. to them. So yep. that's really incredible that they that's reach cool. out to you. Yeah. So, so what kind of feedback have you gotten on, on your decision? Because, I mean, me personally, I mean, the cojones to just tell them, no, I'm doing it my way. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, at We've got core values, you know? The reason you start a company is because it's something that you believe in. And the thing that we really believed in is that we wanted to, to make our products. We wanted to have a personality. We want people to come into the tap room and experience Mobcraft, which is us. You know, everything that's here is this way because the crowd voted on it. But it's also because this is something that we love. You know, every aspect of this brewery, you know, we love looking at. Every aspect of the beers we make, we love drinking. So being able to have that essence of this being a little bit of all of us in a can was super important. I, I don't want to get, you know, get you in trouble, but so you're at a certain point and then I guess, when did you find out? Like, did you go in before even this started? This, yeah. this expansion? So, yeah. So, so we, at the end, could it have been like, man, this is a do or die thing? Um, it wasn't ever a do or die. So we, and I'm trying to think of what I can and cannot say, but <laughs> so yes. the, the last, <laughs> the last like public release that we could do was saying that we applied for the show. So that was probably in March of 15 and then it it aired in March um, of 16 it was about a year process from the time that we had to say you know we've applied for the show we can't say anything until we're either on or not yeah because the, the timing is off because I think they were advertising when the construction was going on yeah everybody everybody thought we got a deal because I couldn't say if we if we went on the show or not I mean when we, when we went out there I told all my family that I was going to a trade show you know <laughs> like, like made up all these grandiose lies to keep my mom quiet I didn't know if it was the icing on the cake or if you got it, you know, yep. I didn't know, you know, at the time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the majority of, of people thought we got a deal and went on went on the show and got a deal when we started construction. And in reality, we started construction, we didn't even have the place fully financed. But we figured it out. <laughs> so what was your reaction to how they finally edited the show? I loved it. It was great. I mean, I was in there for a much longer period of time mm -hmm. than was shown. So when you have no clue what people are really saying, yeah. um, it ended up being a very good you know, portrayal of what we thought about the brewery, what we thought about beer in general. You came across as an advocate for craft beer in front of 
five people who may not have been very big beer fans. Uh, I think the word is clueless, okay. actually. <laughs> if we're to be honest, they, they had no idea what they were even talking about. I, I mean, we can, the four of us are experienced enough that we can sit down and have a sour, try and figure out what we're trying to taste. Mm-hmm. The reaction to the sours on the show was <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, there was one person who kind of liked it. I mean, it was almost made for yeah. TV, and I've gotten my eyes open to reality, air quotes, TV. But uh, to do to misinformation, uh, specifically to get ratings for TV, is starting to be off-putting. Yeah, I, I would say that you came off really well. As, as you know, kind of a hero for, for craft brewing, like Andy said, sticking by your guns, not selling when, you know... What was Kevin O'Leary saying? You should uh, you should outsource all your beer. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I mean, and it, it makes sense from a business perspective. You know, he was able to make a wine brand because he has a, a name that you could attach to a wine brand that was contracted and be yeah. successful. But you know, with a craft brewer, with a craft brewery, I mean, the thing, the people, why you're interested in craft beer is the story behind it. So, and that's where I would disagree. There are currently a number of brands that are purely contract. And one, they're, first of all, terrible. And two, they are not well-selling. Your largest, best-selling brands all have a brewery or multiple breweries. Yeah, so. I mean, there, there are a lot of, you know, like take One Barrel, for instance. You know, they, they have a brewery in Madison, and they, they contract for their larger batches. And, you know, they've seen a lot of success with their brand as it's mm-hmm. continued to grow. Um, you know, it's, it's just case by case. Yeah, I think. So to circle back to your integration into the Milwaukee culture, uh, that we're recording here in early February. You've got a homebrew rally coming up. Yeah. Uh, so that looks really exciting and cool. So how about a little tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, as you continue to grow the company, you start to think of like what's more relevant. So um, one thing that we really wanted to do was like bring on beer education as something very important to the company. You know, when it was a year ago, literally myself, Andrew and Nick and Josh were the four employees in Mobcraft. Now we have 20 employees and we're just like, oh crap, you know, everybody who's in this company does not have the same knowledge that we have. So we started doing things like, you know, weekly tastings and things like this homebrew event that we want to encourage more people to get into the process. So we partnered up with um, with the Milwaukee Beer Society, which is an awesome organization. I think they're on their like, I don't even know how many thousandth of beer that they've tasted. They get together every Wednesday and taste different beers, whether it's coffee beers one week or New England beers one week. Oh, they're um, on our list. Yeah, we, yeah. We interview those guys. <laughs> nice, nice. So Nick, our director of sales, is one of the founders of that group as well. So we um, they we teamed up with them to start this um, this program, and we're brewing batshit crazy we're giving away wart for those who just want to do a the equivalent of a extract batch where they just take wart they boil it add the hops ferment and bottle and then we also have got some great donations from local suppliers for some of the grains that if you want to come bring your homebrew system bring your homebrew system set it up and we got 15 slots to be brewing with us while we're bringing a commercial batch is there any plans to make this an annual we're planning to do something like this quarterly oh fantastic Mm -hmm. yep so between wart giveaways and you know events like this this. I want to do something that's heavily homebrew involved every couple months. So what we're looking at is a lot of there's a lot of breweries popping up in the city of Milwaukee, especially mm-hmm. in the outlying suburbs. Yeah. Uh, you guys are sort of like the top of the up and comers in the state. Who do you see as right behind you? You know what's awesome? Well, I'll back up. Have you heard of the Craft Brewery League yet? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to pimp that for a minute because this group started, um, we moved to town. Brenner let us brew at his place for six months when we were homeless. Matt from District 14 was just a super cool dude. Andrew's making face at, at us <laughs> through the sour room window. <laughs> and, um, 
And then um, Nick from Raised Grain. So we all kind of got together and we were like, how can we make Milwaukee a better craft beer city? So we started this craft brewery league and fast forward four or five months, we have, I think, either 30, 27 or 37 breweries in the Milwaukee and counties surrounding Milwaukee area that are members of this league. And our main mission is to just do cool beer shit. So once a month, we have a tap takeover. Um, the next one is at Sprecher. So Sprecher buys a keg from each one of us. We put it all on tap. Everybody's there wearing a Craft Brewery League shirts, either a brewer or an owner from that brewery, and just hang out and talk about beer. Oh, that's so super awesome. So when we talk about like the breweries in Milwaukee, like there's buy-in from everybody to participate in this. Because, you know, we believe that this is a beer city that we need to be known for beer. And we're all banded together to make that happen. That's fantastic. So in in your who's your next up and comers? Everybody. (laughs) Be on the lookout for we're launching the first uh, Milwaukee Craft Beer Week. It's going to be, I think, the last week in July, first week in August. So 10-day festival. We've got nine collaboration beers amongst Milwaukee breweries that have been bubbling. We had a speed dating collaboration event here at Mobcraft where we sat a bunch of brewers down together. I sat there with the freaking time clock every seven minutes, yelled switch, and you rotated around finding another brewer to collaborate with on a beer. Wow, that's awesome. So that was a blast. And then there's going to be fun events, a frisbee golf outing with Matt from D14 and a bunch of other brewers, all sorts of really weird things that aren't like, tap takeover, tap takeover, tap takeover. You should have wrapped that into like a festival or something to culminate the beer week, the beer, you know, the craft beer week. Yeah, there's, there's actually a beer festival on one of those weekends. So we'll put up like a craft brewery league tent at the festival. And then we're going to, we're starting it with the collaboration releases. And then we're doing things like um, pub crawls, where we'll be like a kill the six barrel down Brady Street where you know six barrels 40 pours we might have two different six barrels at each place and you know hit six bars and then that'll feature different breweries at each bar and we want to do them you know kind of by neighborhood so we'd, we'd like to do a live podcast at one of those yeah places. yeah that'd be pretty sweet we are tap takeover and we're yeah. taking over taps yep yep this is almost too much breaking news for one <laughs> yeah I let all the secrets out I guess jeez I have no filter I'll tell you the coolest that probably maybe who knows if it'll happen but I'm trying to make it happen we want to break a world record and we want to have the world's largest beer dinner. And wow. we want it to span from Mobcraft on 5th and Virginia down to Urban Harvest on 5th and Scott. So that's seven blocks. We want to do three breweries per block paired with a restaurant per block. Wow. And we want to put tables down the whole entire thing. And, and Walker's and Point. And get us Book of World Records. Why not? Yeah, and Walker's Point is the place <laughs> to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll cover that too. All right, sweet. Strong breaking stuff. All right. So I think on that note, we're going to wrap it up here with Henry. Uh, we're going to do some tasting and continue. But Henry, thank you very much for taking your time here with the Tap Takeover Podcast. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Well, that was fun. I hope uh, everybody enjoyed that as much as we did. Great interview with Henry. And uh, we're going to finish it up here with the, the last variant of the existence, which is the cranberry. And this one's a little bit more unique. It has uh, information on the cranberries. They're from uh, Circle Hill Cranberries in Warren, Wisconsin, right underneath that family owned and operated. So Great. Some farm to table here. Again, yeah. Henry's supporting some local uh, fruit growers. Yeah. And as a beer, has the same kind of definitely very reminiscent of the raspberry. It has that sourness, has the fruitiness. 
could you say almost this is more fruity? This, I mean, there's something more... I'll can... say I prefer the raspberry, but I don't think this is a lesser beer. I think that's just a, a, a berry preference on, on my part. But yeah, you're right. It's it's very reminiscent. You're getting, you're getting the cranberry and then the sour mixed in. I think you might be right. Yeah, I think the cranberry is a little more... Pronounced, yeah. It's more yeah. of a star in this one. Yeah, exactly. On the last one, the sour was still the star. Mm-hmm. You still got that mostly on the nose. On this one, I'm getting cranberry on the nose and then the sour kind of in the background. Yeah, no, it's... So I, it's it's more interesting, actually. I think yeah. I like this one more. The tartness of the fruit is more harmonized with the tartness of the sour, so that's where I think they're really oh, playing well together. Call, yeah. yeah, there's good interplay in the barrel, for sure. And let's talk about that barrel. I mean, are you guys getting oak notes out of all of these? Yeah, I, I definitely am. You can tell that it's both American and French oak barrel that these have been laid down in. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I'm not getting nearly as much oak as, as I've noticed in stouts, you know, aged in whiskey barrels or, or bourbon barrels. But there's definitely, yeah, there's an oakiness to it. There's a, it's definitely on the, the back end that you get that, that nice sense of, of wood on the back. I guess overall, what do you guys think? Um, after talking with Henry and after tasting these three, what are your thoughts on sours, I guess? I'm uh, For me personally, um, I can say that I'm not certain that I'll ever get fully into sours. I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try like hell. Uh, that's why I think getting some listener feedback on these sours is so important. But on the other hand, I think it's okay to be generally aware of sours and, and to go out of your way to try them, you know, so that you're you're aware of what's going on and what they're going for. For, and you can speak intelligently about them. The, the worst thing in the world is somebody who who's such a beer snob that they won't even try something. I think those those people just need to stop. They need to get out of their comfort zone and, and, and try some things. And so for me, sours may not ever be top on my list, but they're definitely on my list. I think if you have the opportunity to add a sour to a flight that you may be doing at a new brewery or a bar that has sours on tap, uh, definitely take that opportunity to try them out. You may like them, you may not. They're definitely unique in their flavors. And for me, I guess I'm 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 with you, Alex. It's just just add it to your repertoire, if you will. Yeah, that's but, a good um, it, the thing that intrigues me is the aging part of it. I really want to get into, or maybe just buy a couple bottles and see how they are after a couple of years, because that's that's the intriguing part about the sours for me. You know, and, and I will be honest. Since we talked with with Henry, I wasn't there for the uh, the bottle release party this past Saturday, but I did buy a bottle of sour. It's my first one. It's in my Ooh. cellar. Yeah. yeah, so I'm gonna stick it down there for maybe 20 years or so, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, okay. see what kind of funk develops. But no, it's exciting. You know, I'm it, I'm expanding. I'm expanding, and that's pretty fun because that hasn't happened in a while. I, I thought I'd come across all the good beer varieties. I, I thought I was not not an expert, but at least experienced in each one. And so to have sours come along and know that there's this deep, deep well that bears exploration, it's exciting. So take over our taps. Let us know what you think about sours in general. Are you a fan? Are you not? You can reach us on Instagram at tap underscore takeover underscore podcast at our Twitter at on our Twitter at tap takeover pod. Email us at tap takeover podcast at gmail.com like us on facebook tap takeover podcast and on our youtube channel tap takeover podcast and that'll do it for me alex and jim anderson jesus all right boys well here's to another successful podcast cheers cheers, cheers to the sours.